Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 57 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story, but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. A timely shout out to our sponsors this week over at Catholic Balm Co., where you can find the most exquisite beard balms, oils, lotion bars, and more, and just in time for No Shave November. So head over to catholicbalm.co, that's catholicbalm.co, to check out their great variety of products, and be sure, of course, as always, to enter the word POPE, P-O-P-E, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. Also, be on the lookout this coming week on Instagram at the Popecast for an exclusive giveaway of some of Catholic Balm Co.'s newest offerings. Once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the Popecast. Well, our Pope this week was old and sick when he got elected and wasn't in office for all that long, but he wasn't about to let those younger whippersnappers outdo him in productivity. Oh, and he also made the founder of the Jesuits a saint and wrote a pretty significant document about when certain someones could and could not be burned at the stake. This week on the Popecast, it's the last pope to write about witches, Pope Gregory XV. Alessandro Ludovici was the third of seven children born to Pompeo Ludovici and Camilla Bianchini, a noble family in Bologna, coming into the world January 9th, 1554. Alessandro was sent for studies at the German college in Rome where he was taught by the Jesuits in the humanities and philosophy. He then went back home to Bologna where he later graduated from the university there in 1575 at age 21 with degrees in canon and civil law. Alessandro's career was destined to be one of service to the institutional Catholic Church after that. He returned to Rome once more and served initially as a jurist, working in that role for the better part of 20 years. In 1593, he was elevated to the role of referendary for the apostolic signature, say that five times fast, which is basically just an arbitrator or investigator for the church's highest court. Alessandro was in that role for three years and then was named vice-gerent of Rome for two years, and was finally named auditor of the sacred Roman Rota, the church's highest appellate court for the remaining 13 years until the year 1612. Riveting stuff. It was then that Alessandro, still apparently a layman who hadn't been ordained in any way, was appointed to be Archbishop of Bologna, his home diocese, and promptly was sent to Savoy, the modern-day French-Italian border, as an ambassador by Pope Paul V. It stands to reason that, since there is no record of Alessandro having been ordained prior to 1612, that he was made a priest and then consecrated a bishop after he was assigned as archbishop. You know, just getting those little things out of the way. Well, in any case, now Archbishop Ludovici's job in Savoy was to mediate a dispute between the Duke of Savoy and Philip III, the King of Spain, basically over who got to add more acreage to their backyard when the Gonzaga family's male lineage was about to expire. He must have done a decent job, too, because four years later, on September 19, 1616, Paul V made Alessandro a cardinal. The next five years, historically speaking anyway, were pretty quiet for Cardinal Ludovici, until he was called to Rome in early February of 1621. Pope Paul V had died of a stroke on January 28th, and it was Cardinal Ludovici who emerged on the other side of the ensuing conclave as the 234th Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. 
The newly minted Gregory XV, by the way, apparently owed his election to the influence of none other than Cardinal Scipione Borghese, the late Paul V's portly nephew, a man of questionable morals, but nonetheless the man responsible as a patron of the arts for commissioning many great works from the likes of John Lorenzo Bernini and collecting many of the paintings of Caravaggio at the height of the Italian Renaissance. But I digress. Gregory XV would only reign as Pope for a short two and a half years, but he accomplished more than most do in twice that time. Despite being 67 years old and already in ill health, he knew his own strengths and weaknesses, and wasting time certainly was not one of the latter. He appointed his own nephew, Ludovico, as a cardinal and his personal secretary on day three of his pontificate, running the risk of being accused of perpetuating that old papal tradition of nepotism in those days that was almost always unsavory. But thankfully for Gregory, the new Cardinal Ludovici, despite certainly taking the opportunity to enrich the family at any turn, proved even at the young age of 25 to still be an able and devoted servant of the Pope and of the Church more broadly. Gregory also appointed his brother, Orazio, as commander of the Pontifical Army on that very same day. For a guy who was in office such a short time, several of his actions were historic, and some even still echo down to us in the present day. Soon after his elevation to the papacy, Gregory put in place new rules for future papal elections, the bulk of which are still used today, in fact. Back in Gregory's time, and long before, as many listeners to the Popecast will likely recall, papal conclaves were all too susceptible to nefarious influence, and Gregory knew it. So, he enacted new rules that not only would votes now always be cast in secret, but a cardinal could not vote for himself, and a pope could only be elected validly in one of three ways. By scrutiny, which is the normal means of voting that we all know and love, right, the two-thirds majority, by compromise, or by acclamation of the people, which is how it was done in the old days. So, for all intents and purposes, it's always done by scrutiny, but Gregory set down three very specific requirements uh, and ways that a pope could be elected. A few months later, in January of 1622, Gregory XV established the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith, Propaganda Fide, known more commonly as the missionary arm of the Catholic Church, which is responsible for spreading the gospel to all corners of the world and organizing the church's missionary efforts. Related to this, Gregory was a great champion of the Jesuit order, not only for the fact that they had educated him as a boy, but for all of their intrepid and bold pilgrimage to unknown lands. It's no coincidence, then, that Gregory canonized their founder, St. Ignatius of Loyola, along with her greatest missionary, St. Francis Xavier, on March 12, 1622, along with St. Isidore the Farmer, St. Philip Neri, and the great St. Teresa of Avila on that very same day. Later that year, Gregory would beatify a few more future saints, beatification, of course, being the step below sainthood or before sainthood, and among those was St. Albert the Great, the teacher and mentor of none other than St. Thomas Aquinas. And finally, he was the last pope to write a papal bull, basically a public decree, right, named for the bulla, or the unique leaden seal used to authenticate the document, on witchcraft. In Omnipotensis Dei, as the bull was titled, the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts that Gregory said, quote, former punishments were lessened, and the death penalty was decreed only upon those who were proved to have entered into a compact with the devil and to have committed homicide with his assistance, end quote. Slightly dark, no big deal. Politically speaking, Gregory XV was efficient. 
keeping his nose out of most business, but making a big splash when he did. The Pope helped reclaim a key German territory, the Palatinate, for Catholicism, and was gifted with a library of 3,500 manuscripts by its new ruler as thanks. He was also able to cool everyone's jets when a war between Spain and France seemed apparent, following an unfortunate massacre of Protestants in 1620. England was another nation who had grown chilly towards Rome, of course, in the previous century, but things te- seemed at least to soften a bit, thanks to Gregory during his time. The king in those days, James I, seemed to become more tolerable towards Catholics. And a marriage almost happened that Gregory favored between the future King Charles I and the Spanish Infanta Maria that could have restored England's Catholicity, but alas. Around the start of summer in 1623, Gregory fell ill for the final time. In what most of us would probably describe these days as a rough Tuesday, the Pope became bedridden due to kidney stones, diarrhea, and a painful stomach disorder. Gregory took a turn for the worse on July 4th of that year when his fever spiked. He was able to receive viaticum and the last rites on the following two days and lived barely 48 hours afterward, dying on July 8th, 1623. Pope Gregory XV was buried in the Church of Sant'Ignazio in Rome, a church paid for by a generous gift to the Jesuits in his own will, and was honored with a grand monument over his tomb 80 years later following the church's completion as thanks from the order, a magnificent spectacle that can still be seen to this day. In addition to that great monument, multiple likenesses of Gregory XV still exist, chief among them being an exquisite bust sculpted by Bernini himself in 1621, depicting the bearded Pope in an ornate cope, featuring St. Peter and St. Paul on either shoulder, his slender face tired but determined. The original marble bust resides in Ontario, Canada, but one of the two bronze casts is actually located in Pittsburgh at the Carnegie Museum of Arts. I don't know if we have any Popecast listeners from Pittsburgh, but if we do, be sure to head over to Carnegie Museum of Art, snap a picture and send it to us. But Either way, anybody who sees that, I think, will agree that Bernini was a true master, and it is remarkable that he was just 22 years old when that bust was finished in 1621. Well, that is a wrap on this bio of the last pope to write about witches. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, please drop us a rating and a review over at iTunes. If you just discovered this podcast, please be sure to share it with some friends. Also, if you'd like to get the podcast even earlier than normal, Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Early access to every new Popecast episode is a quintessential perk of every one of our Patreon tiers. Uh, Of course, there's lots of other great stuff out there, but be sure to check us out if you haven't already at patreon.com slash thepopecast. Once again, thanks to our our listeners, new and old, uh, especially those who have found us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A quick shout out to uh, one of our followers on Instagram, Ash Cash Money, who messaged us and said uh, she didn't realize that the Popecast was a podcast and apparently just loved the uh, Pope quotes and such there. So um, thanks, Ashley, for being a new listener. Uh, thanks to all any other new listeners out there. And as we head out today, let us pray for the soul of Pope Gregory the Fifteenth, and strive each day to be diligent in the work we're called to do, no matter the hardship. Until next time. Mm-hmm.